The problem isn't not knowing what to do. It's considering everything. Overthinking every possible outcome and never coming to a decision. If I could talk to my ancestors, it would sound like this. You had to choose where we live. I would not have been able to make those decisions. I love our open fields of spring and slanted earthly windows. You hung on to hope during all that displacement and concentration long enough for me to find home between dusty land and dusty sky. They always want what we have. Heard about it. See it today. You responded the way I would have. I'm saying your fight is in me. I'm saying your fight is in all of us. Now is the time that we are reminding ourselves of what we survived. You lived through the reduction. Now I see the expansion. You did what you had to do. On today's episode, we talk with Lynette St. Clair and her journey with the Eastern Shoshone language. We also use her story and her experience to explore and discuss the history of the Eastern Shoshone tribe. This is Cody Beers with the Wyoming Department of Transportation. Dad is proud to help bring you the Indian Relay podcast and to partner with the Eastern Shoshone and Northern Arapaho tribes. Our goal is to keep people safe on our local highways. Did you know that Wyoming has averaged 1,100 alcohol-involved crashes annually in each of the last 10 years, and that, more than, and that more than 50 people die every year as a result of drunk driving? We can do better. We must. Celebrate life. Drive sober. The Indian Relay Podcast is made possible by the Institute of Tribal Learning at Central Wyoming College. The Institute coordinates American Indian services through continued education on historical and contemporary issues. CWC proudly serves the two nations of the Wind River Reservation, and through the Institute, they seek to provide positive influences to educate students, along with tribal and non-tribal community members on American Indian issues on a local and national scale. To support the Institute and its mission, or to learn more more, email Ivan Posey, iposey at cwc.edu. That's I-P-O-S-E-Y at cwc.edu. Here on the Wind River Indian Reservation, we have stories to tell, history to share, and wisdom to give. On this show, we share the well-roundedness of our people. In that process, we break the mold placed on us and reclaim our identity, Northern Rapo and Eastern Shoshone. We are two nations and one community. This is Indian Relay, a Wind River Indian Reservation podcast. Aba, dos, isihi, nete aina, jaha aina, nata aina, na hinana aina. Hello, all my relatives. My name is Jaka Hay Black. I belong to the Northern Arapaho tribe. Thank you for joining us today on today's episode of Indian Relay. Today, I'm talking with Lynette St. Clair and her journey with learning and revitalizing the Eastern Shoshone language, as well as the history of the Eastern Shoshone tribe. Lynette St. Clair is Eastern Shoshone. She is a linguist, cultural preservationist, educator, and consultant. She developed the first Shoshone language app. Her work also includes assisting with the development of statewide standard initiatives that addressed how the contributions of American Indians are taught in Wyoming classrooms. 
She has received the 2019 Woman of Influence Award for her efforts in the preservation of the traditional values, history, and language of the Eastern Shoshone people. She attended Montana State University in Billings, where she received her Bachelor of Science degree in Public Relations with a minor in Organizational Communication. She received a master's degree in 2017 in Native American Leadership from Southern Oklahoma State University. Ha, zasikandave, ishindivizi zan and dave, sika yurain. Ishin sosorin wipe it. Nanai, Lynette Sinclair. Good afternoon. It's a good day in the Warm Valley. My name is Lynette St. Clair. I'm Eastern Shoshone. Awesome. Lynette, thank you for joining us here today on Indian Relay. I'm very excited to hear your input on the language and the culture. And I want to start off talking about the positions you've held in our community. Uh, you started off as a school secretary at Fort Washke School. And then the door was opened for you to become the Indian Education Coordinator. And in that position is when you were really able to work at preserving the language. And then from there, the door was opened for you to become a teacher. So all of these opportunities were sort of just put onto your plate and you decided to accept them. And you hit the ground running in each of them. Um, My first question for you is, where does your spirit of accepting a challenge and facing it head-on come from? Well, I think really, you know, when we think about the spirit of, of accepting a challenge, that's something that's innate within all of us. And as an Indigenous woman and a person that comes from a long line of strong Indigenous women, um, I think it's, it's our responsibility to rise up to the challenge and to accept things that come to us that are presented us presented to us in um, in s- some instances really unorthodox ways you know things that we go through in life are not always planned out and you know s- to be honest being in this position and my pathway to where I am right now has never really been in in my on my radar so um, I think just having the opportunities that were presented to me and looking at them as opportunities rather than something that, you know, I should begrudge or something that I have to do. Um, I think that's really been the blessing for me. Mm. And speaking of the strong line of women that you come from, you grew up learning the Shoshone language from your grandma, correct? Yes. Um, Can you talk to us about that experience and what it was like learning the language from such a young age? Yeah, so my grandmother is um, Nellie Washke Tillman, and she is the um, granddaughter of Chief Washakie. And growing up, um, I spent a lot of time, like many of us do, with our grandparents. And I I was very fortunate to be able to um, spend some time with her, a lot of time with her, um, learning different traditional ways and um, learning the language because her knowledge of the English language was pretty limited because that was her second language. And so um, a lot of the time when we communicated, it was through, um, you know, Sosori Day, talking Shoshone. And that was something that we just, you know, it was something that we just did in our in our household. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the time growing up, we don't really realize how fortunate we were or we are 
to be in those situations or to be in that setting. But um, I think just having that caring and uh, nurturing language, uh, you know, education from my grandmother was really critical for me. And it was also real um, something that is uh, priceless. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, just having that experience now in retrospect, I, I think I probably was probably one of the luckiest kids, you know, to be able to spend that much time with my grandma. And um, I have a family of, I grew up with a family of um, five brothers and two sisters. And for a while there, um, I was pretty much the only one that really spent all the time with my grandmother. And um, my older brothers, they spent time with our paternal grandmother, our Hutsi. And um, so I, I spent time with my Gagu. And I think, um, you know, knowing, being able to um, help her when we go to the grocery store and we were shopping, you know, helping her navigate through, you know, all of the different things that um, at the time I just didn't, I just dismissed as trivial, but they were really big because, um, you know, like I said, her, her knowledge of the English language is very limited. So there was times that I would have to translate to her how much something cost or, you know, something, what something was and what the purpose of it was. Mm-hmm. So. And you also, in your journey of learning the language and revitalization, you also spent a lot of time with Roberta Ngavu. Mm-hmm. Um, can you introduce her for us since you spent quite a bit of time with her and also talk about what that relationship was like and your journey with her as well? Yeah, so Roberta Ngavu. Ngavu, oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> she, she, um, she is my auntie, and uh, I spent time with her um, you know, early on, it was pretty limited because she was around um, our family. Uh, when, my, when my father was alive, um, she would come to the house and, and visit with my mom and my, my father. And after he left, um, or he passed, she, um, I, I believe, left and um, moved to Oklahoma where she was with her um, husband, Tony Ingavo. And then she, they came back to the reservation Gosh, I, I think like in the 1980s, maybe the 90s. But um, reconnecting with her was, was really an awesome experience. And I, I remember um, seeing her and her husband come back to Shoshone Indian Days. And they came onto the, uh, onto the arbor. And they were just such an amazing couple to see. You know, an older couple who were very much in love, who... Um, idolized each other and um just a real handsome couple and they danced and um so seeing them it was just very heartwarming and and um an awesome thing to be able to experience that and then um in 2001 I believe um Reba Turan and Beatrice Hawkes and my brother Manfred Gwena and Roberta worked on on compiling probably one of the most comprehensive Shoshone language dictionaries that there are. And uh, so they all worked together at the Culture Center, compiling all of these words and um, putting them together and, and um, being able to collaborate, you know, within their little group there 
to make sure that the pronunciations were right and, and the words were right and what the variations of those words were. So um, that's how we got to reconnect. And then um, towards her, you know, towards the time in the in most recently, um, I would go to her and ask her, you know, these questions about things that uh, I think are really important that we're missing now. And that is like um, young women coming into, you know, becoming a woman. There's certain um, rites of passage that that we have long since not really practiced. And so those are things also, you know, in addition to the language that we need to um, reintroduce back into our communities. Because I think, you know, once we have a handle on that, it will really help our youth um, go forward in a good way. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, looking back on your time with your grandma, you said it was sort of the norm and you didn't realize in that moment how fortunate you were. Did you have that realization when you were working with Roberta and her knowledge and her ability to speak the language? Yeah, it was it was the same. Um, you know, it's that reconnection, again, with something that you already have within yourself and then being able to, um, you know, just be able to converse and to be able to laugh and enjoy each other's company in that context. Um, you know, that's something that's just part, I think, is the norm in any uh, Indian family. And um, the really, I think, one of the um, really important pieces that I probably didn't mention is that um, my mom, who it was, you know, that was Roberta's um, buddy, and um, they call, you know, they related to each other as um, sisters. And so... Um, she was, you know, the, the person that would always kind of bridge the connection whenever I was, you know, out there, you know, with questions or I, I didn't have the answer to something and I needed help. Um, she would always connect me back to Roberta because Roberta was very knowledgeable in, you know, creation stories and, and um, just different things and traditional ways of knowing. You know, she had that knowledge and so... Um, I'm really fortunate that my mom is still here with us and that she's able to um, help me bridge those connections. You mentioned the variations in the Shoshone language, and I know that some other indigenous languages are the same. When you were constructing the Eastern Shoshone app, how did you handle figuring out which variation or which saying or which phrasing went into the app itself? Ooh-wee, that was really tricky. <laughs> that was really tricky. And, and I think, you know, um, looking back on, on the whole process, um, I think practice makes perfect. And back in um, the early 2000s, when I first was the Indian Education Coordinator at Fort Washkie School, um, that was something that we had um, attempted to do. But uh, I think... The first thing that I found that was really important was making sure that I went out and I um, sought that information from, from our elders. And making that connection with our elders is very critical. I think a lot of our young people don't realize how much knowledge they have. And, um, and so um, I went out and I gathered information from, um, you know, the late Starweed Sr., um, Angela Wagon, um, Bunny Shoyo, 
Roberta was on there, um, the, uh, Rafaelita Stump. So there was a lot of people who um, were involved in the process of developing the core belief system and then um, also developing um, the information about which dialects are in which areas. And so that right there was the, the, um, the biggest challenge, I think, was trying to figure out how are we going to, uh, you know, you can't just select just one right way because that would be disrespectful to the people who speak the language in a different form, you know. And so, um, it, so we decided to honor all the variations of the way that it was spoken and within our own community at Fort Washakie, we have several different dialects of the Shoshone language. But um, we try and um, we attempt to honor all of them through, you know, recognizing the different variations of, of the word. So an example would be um, some people, when they talk about a, a mosquito, they say, um, they call it mupwa. And some people call it mopo. So there's just a very slight variation, you know, slight difference in the way that people say things. So the language app itself was another challenge that you decided to take on and face head on. Right. And so that was kind of, um, you know, when we started to do that, we, uh, th- there was several different moving parts to that. And, and once we started it, it was like, holy cow, now we've got to do We've got to have models. We've got to have people who are going to, um, you know, be willing to have their image, you know, taken. Then we're going to have to have people who are willing to come in and speak. We have five over 500 words that are on the app. And um, I didn't want to limit it to just a certain group of people. So I opened it up and, and um, we sat up at the um, powwow grounds at the Indian Days for two days and um, we would catch people walking by, and we'd say, hey, we're developing a language app. Would you like to be a part of this? And some people were like, oh, cool, you know, what do I got to do? And then other people were like, nah, I don't want to do it. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know how Indians are acting all somehow. <laughs> yeah, and they want their picture taken. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> it might steal their spirit. You know? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so we did sit there for a while, and um, we got a lot of people to sign up. And then um, when it came down to the lists of words and everything, um, we sat down and, and figured out which words needed to be um, translated. And then I went out and I contacted almost everybody who I knew that spoke, you know, Shoshone, and invited them to come to Fort Washakie. We, um, you know, gave them an honorarium for, for doing, you know, for sharing their knowledge and um, had them come in at different times and just sit down and record the words for us. And um, then we were able to compile them. Um, during that process, of course, you know, we had uh, Don and Kara Thornton, who are the developers of the program. And so, um, you know, they don't know the, the elders or the community. So when they would be recording, you know, our elders, I would make sure I was in the room with them so that they were comfortable. And also um, there were some times when, you know, some of the elders would look at me and they'd say, you know, Ishin, you know, what is this? Mm. And how do you say this? Or how do you say this? Because um, there's some words that, you know, um, even like when I talk with my mom or other older women when we talk, 
they'll for, you know sometimes forget the word and they'll just sit there and they'll think about it. But um, you know, like an example would be like ayaboronk. An ayaboronk is a butterfly, and if you don't you know have somebody to talk to all the time and you don't know you know it's it's hard to remember. Oh yeah, it's ayaboronk. Mm. So there's just different um, processes that we took that were really challenging, but we um, you know we we met them and we were able to use um, all of their contributions and put them all into an app. Um, that's not come, you know, to say that I didn't, it didn't come with some criticism. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I think as, as Indian people, we have to really um, figure out how we're going to move forward and preserve our language and do it in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of the things, you know, and, and Roberta came right to me. Um, my coworker, she was freaking out one day. She said, Robert is out in the parking lot and she wants to talk to you. And she threw me under the bus cause she was talking <laughs> to her. <laughs> but anyway, so I said, Oh, okay. You know, invite her in. But, um, she was, um, in a wheelchair. So I went out to go talk to her and she, the first thing she said is what in the heck are you up to? Mm. And I said, Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, I knew what she was talking about. And I yeah. said, well, you know, I, I did talk to you about this before. I asked if it was, you know, if, if we could have your blessing on this. Because that was the other thing. Before we even started this process is we invited the group that, you know, I had asked to be a part of this. We um, invited them to the school and we did, uh, um, you know, we fed them. We had a dinner and we said, this is what we want to do. And we did a short little, you know, presentation, a PowerPoint and then um, we said, you know, we would like to, you know, have your blessing to move forward on this. And everybody was in, in agreement. So um, so anyway, um, she yeah, she was pretty upset with me about, you know, what we were doing. And so I sat down and I, I visited with her about it. And I just told her, you know, this is what, you know, what we're doing. And this is why we want to do it. We're preserving this for future generations. And I reminded her about the CDs that Reba Turan and Beatrice and Manford and she had worked on and I said you know um, I feel really fortunate and I'm, I'm feel really blessed that you guys did that because it's um, not only is it helping preserve our language you know for future generations but I have my brother on my iPod and even though he's gone I can still hear him his voice yeah so you know I, I want you to think about that and and um, you know bless us in that way so after a while, she was, you know, ex- she accepted it, and she was more, um, you know, she was more supportive of it. But before, yeah, she was, you know, not very happy about that. Mm. Yeah, can you can you talk about the importance for people in the Eastern Shoshone tribe to download the app and then? to just begin even using small phrases, you know, like I've, I've heard that even if you're using one or two phrases, it's a good start. So to start using a couple of phrases. And I think by using those phrases, then we can also help our elders too, who maybe aren't able to speak it and sort of forget a word here and there. And just like start in that practice of speaking what little you can, can sort of unlock some, mem- some memory and mm-hmm. some words for them. Yeah, so the language app, I mean, it's easily accessible, and we actually just added three new platforms. So it's available on um, 
uh, Mac version, uh, PC version, and it's on the uh, Fort Washkey School website. Um, there, right now, we're in the process of um, developing extension lessons, and um, what I want to do is I want to break them down into, um, per, you know, for each category to be able to have an extension to that. So um, instead of just having the word, then you would have a conversational piece to it. So, for example, if I said, um, Sam you, I'm telling you good morning. And your response back to me would be, huh, yes, Sam you, good morning. And then I would say, I think on there it says, Anhaganisunga, um, how are you today? Or Anhaganisunga, Sikindave, how are you today? Then I would say, Nariviji, Zant, Anui, Anhaga. You know, and, and so just being able to have that conversation, I think, is, is the missing link to being able to sustain our language. Um, and as a teacher, that was one of my biggest, um, one of my biggest things was introducing it to them in sixth grade, giving them the real basics, like the five W's when you're a reporter, you know, mm-hmm. because those are, the, those are the critical pieces, the missing pieces when you're asking, how are you or what are you doing? You know, who are you with? Why are you here? You know, and so on. So if you give them the five W's, then you'll be able to um, break, uh, eventually move them into sentences. So uh, the only thing that I found that was really challenging in that respect was um, I was teaching sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And um, some of the kids, you know, when they come into the language um, and this is no disrespect to any language teacher out there, but, you know, I know what it's like to be a, uh, a language teacher. And when you don't have a f- uh, framework and you don't have a uh, infrastructure in place, classroom management skills, you know, um, a lot of the time we're really doing our, our teachers, our language instructors, a disservice by not preparing them and giving them those critical skills on classroom management and um, lesson planning and lining it out. Um, so if you have some inkling of at least how you're going to do a lesson and how you're going to, you know, assess it, you know, that I think is what's missing right now that I think, you know, as we go forward, those are the, the goals that I have to, um, you know, help our programs along is creating um, language instruction methodologies that are sustaining. Hmm. And, you mentioned the core beliefs of the Eastern Shoshone tribes, and you've also mentioned some of the backlash you've gotten on some of your projects. And I know that you had received backlash from someone when you had made posters that outlined the 12 core beliefs. Um, but in all that, how have you continued to maintain the core beliefs amidst backlash, but also just in the way that you're living your life and going along your journey of cultural preservation. That that was a real tough time. It's bringing back some bad memories. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, those, there was a time when, you know, um, yeah, that that can be when when you go into something with good intentions and you really think that everybody's going to be on, you know, jump on the bandwagon and be a part of this really cutting edge, you know, you know, awesome project. Um, 
you know, you, it, you can't help but take it personal and, and be hurt by people who don't have that same vision or who don't, you know, feel this, as passionate or feel the same way about, you know, language that you do. And so um, having to deal with that was, was um, something that I, I thought, um, you know, you either have to rise above it and not take it personal and work through that or else just, you know, shuck it to the wayside and, and start all over again, which I wasn't prepared to do. But, um, you know, I think when it comes to our language, and I think when you, like I said, when you go into something with good intent, you know, it's all of this, this journey that I've been on has not been about me, about, hey, look at me, you know, I can do this. It's been about preserving, you know, what's ours and um, sharing the knowledge that I was fortunate to have with other people who want to, to learn, you know, and that's one of our core beliefs is generosity. You know, as Indian people, we're very giving people, and we have to be able to, um, you know, to share all of the gifts that we have because it's better to, you know, to give to people. And um, I don't really expect anything in return other than, you know, peop- that our, our young people take an interest in, in our language and that they want to learn it and um, when I was a teacher, that was one of the things that I, th- I found so interesting was, you know, at first when I, I um, first started teaching, I started at Fort Washakie School, and um, for me, it, it um, really opened my eyes to how much, because at first I thought, I don't really know anything, you know, I mean, I know how to talk, but um, you know, I, I don't really know how to talk, you know, good in- Indian. I mean, I just know just a little bit. But um, when I went into it, I thought, well, you know, I'll just teach them what I know. And, um, and I really kind of along the journey, I realized, hey, I actually know a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, the criticisms that I've, I've taken from you know, not only from, you know, my, my personal criticisms of myself, because I'm, I'm probably my worst critic, but um, from other people, you know, from, you know, just people in the community and, and being, um, being a new arrival, because that's what I'm, you know, sometimes I'm referred to as a half-breed, even though I identify more as a Shoshone than anything else, but um, having to really work through those um, things that are thrown to me on the wayside, I, it's been really difficult. Um, and, and like I said, this journey that I'm on and that I've been on, it's not about even about me. It's about, you know, preserving what is ours and preserving, you know, the language and the culture and the traditional knowledge for our future generations. And um, like I said, as a teacher, when I, when I would bring that up, um, some of the kids would be like, well, you don't say it like that. That's not how my, you know, my dad said, you don't say it like that. (laughs) My uncle said, you don't say it like that. And I said, you know, that was one of the biggest things, you know, the biggest um, obstacles to overcome. And I, and I, when I, when I would teach them, I would say, this is the way my family says it. Your family might say it different. If you go home tonight and you, you know, ask your parents or whatever, how they say it, it might be different. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means you say it differently. You know, we have the same uh, 
language stock as the Comanche people. And so um, there, even though there's slight variations in their words, they're still, we pretty much can understand each other. But um, so, yeah, that was one of the hardest criticisms was coming from, you know, people out there that said, that's not how you say it. And so the way that I, I would present it to the students would be, you say tomato, I say tomato, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you say mopo, I say mupwa, you know? So anyway, so there's just different, um, to overcome that, I always present that first. This is how I say it. Your family might say it differently. But, you know, we want to honor each other's language. Use your language in the right way. Don't use it in a, in a negative way. Um, you know, use it in a positive way and, and use it with respect. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing, you mentioned generosity. Would you mind sharing the other core beliefs? So um, in January, um, the core belief for January is family. And uh, and that's the, the reason why, it's be, you know, we do it in that month is because January is a cold, long winter month. And so a lot of the times our families would go, historically would go, you know, to each other's homes and um, our older people would gamble. Uh, the younger, you know, people would lay around and listen to stories and uh, storytelling time took place. And so that's in January. Um, but also a really h- important historical piece, and that is the um, not to forget who our relatives are, you know, and who, not to forget where we come from. And in January of 1863, that was when the Bear River Massacre occurred. And so um, we always want to remember our family, you know, in the fun times, but also we want to honor the ones that have passed and honor their memory. And in February, we learn about humility and about, you know, that's one of the virtues of Indian people is um, being humble. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think a lot of our, our um, young people don't really understand you know what what that is and so we talk about that and use um ishapa stories about you know being humble and that's a coyote stories and in march we talk about honesty and that's kind of a a extension of the ishapa stories because the coyote teaches us a lot of things teaches us about ourselves and teaches us a lot of um you know good things and bad things about human nature and um so honesty, of course, and um, is something that we always must practice. And uh, in April, we talk about humor because, you know, as Indian people, you go anywhere, you know, you have people that are, are fun or good to talk to, and they make you feel at home and, and at ease. And um, you go to any powwow, you know, you're always, you know, laughing around and stuff. You see your friends or you see the MC who's crazy, you know, so we got to have humor. You know, and, and I think really that's kind of a, that's really what has helped our, our people come forward, you know, is being able to um, laugh at things and, and not take them serious, but also um, moving forward and, and always having a, a, you know, a positive outlook on, on things. And then in May, we um, really emphasize language. And th- with all these lessons, we're, all, we're integrating language with them. And so, um, but in, in May, we want to emphasize the importance of our language and where it comes from and how we have to um, carry it forward and um, preserve it for future generations. 
And then we also tie those in with other activities throughout the month. And we have like the And that's the five buffalo days. And we've been doing that since the early 2000s, where we have a week-long uh, slate of activities and events that celebrate our relationship with a buffalo and honor the buffalo for, um, you know, for helping preserve our way of life, but also for bringing us forward, because without the buffalo, we would not be here. And then in June, we celebrate traditions. Um, in July is spirituality. Those lessons are tied in at the back end of May, and then spirituality is tied in with August when we return to school in the fall because um, during the summer we have our ceremonies and our traditional, um, you know, sweats and everything like that. But the ceremonies like our sun dances are during the summer. And so we always want to make sure that when they come back that they, you know, recognize that. And then in August is life lessons, just everything that we learn from our aunties and our uncles and our grandparents um, and, uh, like, for example, young women going out and picking berries in August and September and then taking those berries and, and storing them for future use, you know, th- that's an example of something that we do. And then September is uh, respect. That's one of the first lessons that we teach um, our students. And, and the reason we teach them respect in September is because when they come back to school, of course, you know, they've had all this time off. Of course, I don't know how it's going to be now, but <laughs> it's been like a eight-month summer. Yeah, but, feels like it. But, um, you know, I think um, throughout the summer, you know, um, you kind of have to recalibrate. And so when you come back in September, you understand that, you know, your teachers are there to share their knowledge with you. So be respectful of them and also be respectful of, you know, your friends and everything. But the most important piece to that is learning about yourself and being respect, having respect for yourself. Because if you don't have self-respect, then you don't respect anything. And then um, in Oct- September, October is courage. And uh, we, we are ramping up um, in October. We're talking about courage, about you know having the um, strength and resilience to move forward and and we bring up the history, the historical stories about, you know, our, our men and how they would go out and um, have, uh, uh, before the war parties, they had, you know, people, that scouts that would go out and scout ahead of the camps to make sure they were safe. And um, so they had to be brave to do that. But, um, and then we talk, at the back end, we um, prepare for the courage it takes to um, preserve our future and to preserve our way of life, but also to... Um, protect our, our family in our country. And then in November, we, we have honor. And we honor the, um, the memory of all of those scouts and all of our, our former um, warriors, you know, that, that served prior to the military campaigns of the, you know, United States government. But before that, you know, we had people who were warriors that took care of our, our, our societies. And, um, and then we talk about the veterans that, um, um, the veterans and, and their fight for, you know, our land. And a lot of times um, I, was, I was questioned by a, a former colleague of mine who said, you know, why is it that Indians are the only, you know, they're always fighting in, in wars or they're going to join the army or armed mm. forces. And I said, because, you know, and the thing she said was, especially because, you know, the government has been terrible to the Indian people. 
And I said, well, our, our men and our people join the service. And I, I'm thinking because they're to protect our land. I mean, whether, you know, either way you look at it, the United States is our, North America is indigenous lands. And it's always going to be our homeland. And that's why we're always the first to answer the call of duty is to protect that, you know. And then, um, so we honor them in November, and then in December, uh, we, we talk about generosity and just the different ways in which we, as Indian people, share, share part of who we are and share our, our tr- culture and tradition. So there's uh, 12 of them, and, you know, we, we try and teach those as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <clears throat> well, I want to say thank you to you for all of the work that you've been doing with the language and the culture and learning, but also being willing to share because, you know, all of this work can sometimes feel taxing, but it's important. So I want to say thank you. And, you know, because of the efforts that you have now, there is a lot of things that people in the Eastern Shoshone tribe can turn to. And we always say that our ancestors, our our older relatives never shared the language out of love because they were used to being punished in boarding schools for speaking their language. And so they never shared it with us because they loved us and they didn't want us to get hurt. And so thank you for, you know, breaking cycles and bringing in a new perspective on the way to go about things. And on that, I think a lot of people will have some idea about how that works with the language, but I don't think they realize that with the reservation that a lot of, especially here on the wind river reservation, the reason chief Washke had to accept some of the boundaries he did was to protect his people. So that way they would have good land to hunt and fish on. Um, So can you sort of talk about the history of how the Shoshone tribe ended up here on the wind river reservation and sort of the other historical lands that they occupied before that? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, um, I think a lot of the times, you know, we focus so much on the um, post-U.S. government arrival and, you know, colonized Western civilization, and we don't think about really the um, historical steps that our ancestors took on North American soil. Um, We've uh, came from, you know, the the Southwest or... um, in the in the South American region, where you know we we are uh, we are ans- our ancestors are the Aztecs, and so you know having taken that journey from south and moving up to into the you know North American states, our territories. Um, one of the stories I heard was, um, and this was um, my auntie told me that Roberta was when they got you know, when they got to, when they were moving up from the south and they got towards, like, where Texas in that area is, um, they came up more north into what is Utah and Idaho territory, and they went on a buffalo hunt. And when they were on that buffalo hunt, um, they killed several buffalo. But um, there were a couple of leaders that got stingy and didn't want to share the meat with all of the people. And so... The Comanches branched off and went to Oklahoma, and the Paiutes, they branched off and went into Nevada and California, and um, 
the Shoshones, we, we remained in the area or some of us migrated north and um, into Canada. We were, you know, even as far as Canada, but um, that, that was kind of one of the stories that she talked about. But it was all over buffalo meat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that we yeah. didn't, weren't practice, practicing our, our generosity back then. <laughs> yeah. It was all, everyone for themselves. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, as we, we came north and, and um, you know, our people, uh, the Wind River Mountains, for example, are, are some of the most highly respected mountains that, of our people. And that's because we have, um, you know, like the Dukurika who lived up, way up high in the mountains the um, sheep eaters and the doyav, um, the mountain people. And they, you know, lived there. We lived there for for hundreds of years. And um, so right now it's really interesting because, like back in, I think, 2007, there was a, a, there was a discovery of a, a Shoshonean village that was in, like, a, had alpine substructure or substructures up in... Um, the mountains outside of east, I think, of Dubois. And they call it the high-rise village. But they have uh, found, like these researchers found evidence of, of um, you know, prehistoric um, tools and things that were used in, in a, the Shoshonean um, community that lived there. And they have like over 30 um, superstructures that are located up there. So wow. there was a huge, like a, a city up there Wow! at one time. And so... You know, um, our people, you know, lived and sustain were sustained off of the mountains and and uh, coming down. You know, the lowlanders, as my brother used to say, the high highlanders are the the doyav, the people that live in the mountains, and then the lowlanders are the people that live here in the plains. You know, we were um, we follow the migratory patterns of the buffalo, and so um, that's where we have the clan system. You know, we ha- our clan systems are de- identified by what we ate or by our, our roles in the tribe. So you have like the um, Ohabambi, um, the Yellow Bangs, who are the warrior society. And then we have um, the Agaidika, and they're the salmon eaters that are in Idaho. And here we have the Gwichundika, which is my clan, and the Doyav, the mountain clan, and um, the Haridika, like the, the dove eaters. So there's a whole bunch of different clans, you know, that are um, Shoshonean. Mm. And so um, historically, you know, they were able to get along, but they were all in their their little clans. And we were talking about this most recently because of, um, you know, how our Shoshone people were still kind of clanned in different areas. Um, and we were saying, well, you know, with this this pandemic maybe that's what's really saving us is being able to stay within our own you know family structures and not really have any expansive connection with other people right now because it's so critical you know it's life or death situation but um yeah the clan system is something that you know we still i think maintain today but um you know when you talked about chief washakie selecting the um reservation where we're at now you know, he had many choices. He could have chosen, like, the Green River area where Fort Bridger Treaty was signed. He could have chose, you know, the area up in Jackson, um, many different places, but he chose the Warm Valley, and that's the Uudine. And he chose it for, um, you know, I, I think he had the, the foresight to see that the, 
the mountains were going to you know provide for the people and because we are you know mountain people i think um he understood the importance of of being able to uh have us um still be provided for even though he was gone he had that foresight and uh it's just so interesting when i think about it because um you know he was a skilled negotiator he um was a friend to the whites but he understood that you know it was a it was a quid pro quo relationship and um, he understood that it was a futile attempt to try and fight because the on you know the oncoming westernized expansion was happening yeah you know whether or not we were prepared for it but he saw that in in the 1863 the the first treaty that carved out the reservation you know, that was on the heels of the Bear River Massacre. And so hearing that and having people that were here from our, our from the Washke, uh clan and from uh, the Wind River area that were there that were killed at Bear River, um, knowing that, you know, I think it is something that he had to, uh, he had to just stand up and say, you know what, I have to look out for my people. So, um, you know, there's a um, mixed... You know, there's a lot of mixed feelings about that, but I think, you know, all in all, he, his, he was looking out for the people. Mm-hmm. And then in 1868, when, you know, the Fort Bridger Treaty was signed with the um, Bannocks, um, and they chose Fort Hall for their reservation, and we remained here, I think, um, you know, that was for us, it was uh, very fortunate for us, because today, you know, we, we are at the headwaters of... Um, the Missouri River, you know, uh, the water that comes off of our mountains is, um, you know, provides for the people continually. And um, so I think we're very fortunate to work, to be where we're at. It's one of the most beautiful reservations that I've been to, that I've been able to visit. And um, I don't think we have any other place in the world that's as beautiful and and, um, magnificent as our Wind River Reservation. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. (laughs) And to conclude the show, I was having a conversation with a gentleman earlier this week, and he said that a lot of the times our young adults or teenagers or young children are sometimes reluctant to sort of start seeking out knowledge or seeking out learning the language, learning about their culture, because they may not already know, and they feel bad, and they feel like that disqualifies them to seek further, which is not true. And for you... What would your advice be for someone who wanted to start? I know that times are a little weird right now with the pandemic, but if someone wanted to start getting involved with learning and get involved with the efforts that you've been putting forth, how would they go about that? Well, uh, you know, I think it's important for them to seek out people who have that knowledge. But I think the other thing is, you know, for those of us who have that knowledge or for those of us who have the the connections, I think it's really important for us to start something. And that's kind of been on the back of my mind about how to start something that we can, um, that would provide like a welcoming environment for everybody to come and and learn about, you know, our our history, to learn about our, our traditions, to learn how to make moccasins, to learn how to make gloves to, to, you know, to, um, tan a hide, you know, mm-hmm. wouldn't be me doing that, but 
<laughs> it's a stinky job. <laughs> but, um, you know, doing all of those things and, and being able to provide those resources for, for the young people or for anybody. Because I know, like, my daughter, she's 34, my oldest. And there's times where she's like, well, you know, she learned how to bead. And um, so, but there's other things that she wants to learn. You know, she they learn the language from me, but... Um, they want to learn more. She's, you know, doesn't live with me right now. But um, anyway, that's one of the goals that I have, um, you know, for the near future is to provide a, like a, not a YMCA, but like a, you know, a place where young people can go and who can feel welcome to learn the language where it's an environment where it's just, you know, totally um, speaking Shoshone or, you know, br- you know, bits and pieces of it. But, um, yeah, that's something that, that uh, I have kind of a goal for. And then the other thing is um, at Fort Washakie School, we're very fortunate to be able to have the resources to, to work towards um, those efforts. And, you know, Fort Washakie, they were the ones that funded the, the language program. Um, we have done a lot um, at, the, at the school district level to be able to provide those resources for our community. So I'm just hoping that, you know, the Shoshone tribe will um, see those efforts and be able to partner with us here in the near future to be able to um, combine resources and uh, open up a really nice uh, language nest, you know. Um, and that's one of the things that I I don't want to get political or and I don't want to, you know, berate anybody for, for their efforts. But, you know, I think it's really important when we're trying to teach the language, that we do it in an environment that's conducive to learning. And it just, um, it really breaks my heart, and it really is a big indication of how the importance of language to, to people in general when they put you up in a little shack or, you know, a place that's kind of run down and dilapidated. It's like, take pride in our language. Take pride in you know, providing a, a great environment for our people to learn this language. Um, you know, put some money into it. It's going to take some money. And so that's one of the things I think is we need to collectively look for resources to be able to provide those services for our people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> awesome. I want to say hahu. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. For anyone that wants to go seek out more information, you can find some of Lynette's work online. You can find a talk that she did with Ted on YouTube, as well as a couple of other podcasts. Um, Any final words you want to say? Um, Some closing remarks in Shoshone. Hmm, let's see. You got to learn it. Don't be scared. Learn our language. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us today, Lynette. And I also want to say thank you to our listeners that have stuck with us so far. Thank you for tuning in. I want to invite you to go like us on Instagram and on Facebook. You can find us at Indian Relay Podcast. You can find our shows on all podcast platforms. And I ask that you would leave a rate, leave a review. It really helps us to reach a broader audience. And if you like the content that we're putting out, it would mean a lot. I want to say once again, thank you to Porters. Thank you to the Wyoming Department of Transportation, and thank you to the Central Wyoming College Institute of Tribal Learning. Thank you to our relatives over at DCM Collective, Noah Pakotis and JG Pakotis for providing the intro and outro music. 
I also want to send a shout out to Mike Chingman for providing the photo to the backdrop of our Indian Relay logo. You can find more of his photos and go check him out, Mike Chingman Photography. Thank you again to everyone that made this possible. And thank you to our listener. We appreciate every single one of you. And with that, I want to say wahey and hahoo. This is Cody Beers with the Wyoming Department of Transportation. YDOT is proud to help bring you the Indian Relay podcast and to partner with the Eastern Shoshone and Northern Arapaho tribes. Our goal is to help keep people safe on our local highways. Did you know that seatbelts are the single most effective traffic safety device for preventing death and injury? Simply wearing your seatbelt in a car reduces your risk of death in an accident by up to 45% and by 60% in a pickup truck. Let's celebrate life. Buckle up for life. Hey, I'm David. And I'm Patrick. I love to hunt. I love to fish. The bottom line is... We love Wyoming's great outdoors and all the opportunities it provides for us. And that's what we discuss in depth on the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We chat with experts, share tips, recipes, and some of our favorite stories. It's just like hanging around the campfire with your buddies. Find Radcast Outdoors on Apple, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.